Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 13, titled, Repentance. Book of Luke. I'll crank it, sorry. The book of Luke, chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 13. We have been camping out in a one spot for a while now, uh, chapter 13 of Luke, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to do it again one more time because we have left a straggler uh, behind a particular word. And uh, I don't want us to miss this word because this word is critical, absolutely critical to our understanding of the New Testament, the preaching of the New Testament, the, the power of the New Testament church, the potential power of the New Testament church today. And part of the reason why we don't have much power is because we don't do what they did and if you don't do what they did, and the New Testament is your only example, and it definitely is, then guess what? You don't do what they did, you don't get what they got. So we don't have effectiveness as a New Testament church in North America. I can say that confidently, because we have the largest churches we've ever had, um, historically. More people in church today, whether online or in person or whatever, than there has ever been in the history of the United States, bar none, like in the, in the millions we have today, what effect are we having? How is our culture doing? How's our nation? It's going literally to hell. Who's responsible for that? Us! And until we take, until we take responsibility for that, and until we do a self-examination, honestly, the health, of, the, health of the, the health of the church is the health of the nation. Why is our church sick? Our churches are sick. Church is sick. Nation's sick because the church was sick. Our churches were far smaller 50 years ago. Far, I mean, like, like, like you find a church that meet with 1,000 people on a Sunday morning. That was a massive mega church. There was only a handful of them 50 years ago. Today, how many thousands do we have in attendance? I mean, today in this church, this is a small church. We've, we, we have maybe a couple hundred on a Sunday morning in, in personal attendance. Online, we have another 150, 200, 300 people. That's a little church. Back then, that would have been a massive church. Just check the history. I, I know a lot about Baptists. I don't know so much about it. We got Methodists and other people here. Check our history, guys. Whether a denomination. We were tiny churches with massive influence. Today, we're mega churches with almost zero influence. What are we doing wrong? Well, I think we're going to find some of that today. A, a, big, a big answer to that question today. So Luke chapter 13. And we have been for the first five verses over this ground several times together answering the question or bringing the question up and answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And we found out there are no such thing as good people. That's part of our problem. Uh, we start with a wrong, wrong assumption. We end with a wrong conclusion. There, are no, there aren't good people. Where'd you get that from? Not from the Bible. God doesn't say we're good at all. So if you think you're good and bad things happen, then you've already got a complex and, like I said, for the wrong reasons. Chapter 13, though, Actually, the people bring the question to Jesus. So let's take a look at what he has to say, and then we're going to, like I said, pick out a particular word that we've left as the straggler. We've got to get back to it. On the same occasion, there was some present who reported to him, that is Jesus, about the Galileans, just current events, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So they're good people going to worship God in Jerusalem. Pilate decided to make an example out of them because he could, because that's the kind of person that he was, and because he ruled as an absolute despot and nobody could stop him. And that's another reason why you want to be free, Americans. So there you go. There's your, there's your political lesson for the day. But Jesus, 
they bring the question to Jesus, and they're saying, how could God allow bad things to happen to these good people? And Jesus answers the question very interestingly. He said, do you suppose that those Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered, the, obviously, if, they, if that happened to them, they must have been doing something that wasn't right, right? We're better people than them because nothing happened to us. Something happened to them because they must be bad people. That's the typical conclusion. Jesus says, no, I tell you. Unless you repent, though, you will all likewise perish. That's the word I want us to pick out today. I don't want us to leave it behind. An extremely important word in your Bible, especially the New Testament, is the word repentance. We hardly ever hear it because we don't preach the way they preach. We don't get what they got, and it's part of our problem. Repentance is absolutely key, and we're going to see that. But he goes on, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he brings up another current event, Jesus does. Suppose, do you suppose, that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, that they were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? Of course, they did think they were, they must have been doing something wrong, right? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Perish. Jesus makes it very clear that without repentance, you will perish. So here, here's, I guess, a, a natural question. Have you done that? Because on the words of Jesus, I'm telling you, if you haven't repented, you will perish. It's critical that we understand what this word is. How critical? I mean, your everlasting life hangs, according to Jesus... I don't know what kind of authority you think he is. I think he does own heaven and hell, and let's see what else, the whole world, and uh, including your life. So I'm thinking we should go with him when he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I'm thinking you should say, okay, he's right. Be very smart. So I want you to notice several things that he doesn't say as he says you must repent or you will perish. He doesn't say, interestingly enough, you must accept me into your heart. And we hear that a lot in church, and we say that a lot as Christians, and it's not necessarily a bad statement. But I will say this, compared to repentance, that word, that phrase, is not found anywhere in your New Testament. You're welcome to look, but I can save you the trouble. It is not there. We use a lot of, ter we lose a lot of terms, and we focus on a lot of things, by the way, that are not biblical. That's one of them. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. I know the point that we're trying to get at. I've said it myself. But, but, but I'm all the more, again, questioning, why do we have huge churches and massive attendance and have no effect, seemingly so? Could it be that we ain't doing it right? I think it could be. Here are some things that else Jesus doesn't say. He says repentance, but he doesn't say accept me hard. He doesn't say join the church. Is there anything wrong with joining the church? Of course not. But he doesn't say, unless you join the church, you will perish. But it seems like our focus is on that anymore. Well, you just got to get more people in the church, you know. As long as we get more people, it's all good. I, you know, I can't find that anywhere in the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't fall there. And here's another statement that he doesn't say, surprisingly. He doesn't say, pray the sinner's prayer or you will all perish. He doesn't say that. He, I mean, again, just like... Uh, Accept me in your heart. The, the statement, pray the sinner's prayer, does not exist in your New Testament. It's just not there. I'm not against the statement necessarily because I understand, at least from my perspective, that when I say, say, say the sinner's prayer, wrapped up in that is repentance. And I, I understand the point, but we guys don't use the word anymore. What's happened to us? 
it's interesting, I find it extremely interesting, especially when you consider how important the word was to Jesus and his vocabulary, extremely important to his vocabulary. The first time you see Jesus in the New Testament, the first time, the first book, his first appearance officially in public ministry where he begins to preach, you know what he says? Watch. Matthew 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, there it is, repent. Why don't we hear that word today? I promise you, if Jesus was here, what he did then is what he would do today, and he would be an anomaly, I, I would say, just the same way that he was then. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. He was asked later on uh, about his association with so-called sinners, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a problem with him running with the tax collectors and the quote-unquote sinners, and so he made a clarification of his, of his personal ministry. Here's what he said. Here's what he's here to do. Mark 2, I did not come to call righteous, but we've already seen that. We've been in chapter, chapter 13 for a while. We know there's no such thing as righteous people. There just aren't. In, in your head, you think you are. But in reality, in eternity, you are definitely not. So I did not come to call the righteous those who think they are. But what? Sinners to the sinner's prayer? No. To repentance. Such an incredibly important word. Such an incredibly important definition in the ministry of none other than our Savior. Why is it not in our ministries? Why don't we do what they did? From then on, effectively, Jesus' most consistent message, repent, repent, repent. Not just to the Pharisees, not just to the scribes, not just to the powerful. He tells everybody, everywhere, poor, wicked, good, it didn't matter. Sinners have to repent. In fact, repentance, Jesus tells us, we saw this as, the, the, the children's sermon here. Uh, repentance is the only thing that causes rejoicing in heaven. Luke 15. I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels. So understand, he's not saying the angels are doing this. He's saying the angels are watching this. So who's doing it? God is. God and, and, and anybody else who would be there. The angels are just observers of this. There are joy in the presence of the angels of God over what? One sinner who prays the sinner's prayer joins the church. No. Who repents. Because unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Have you done that? Have you done that? It is critical. Extremely important word in Jesus' vocabulary. Extremely important word in John the Baptist, Jesus' predecessor, preparer of the way of Jesus the Messiah. John the Baptist, his whole ministry is summed up in repentance. He, he preached a baptism, of, literally, of repentance. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, there it is, repent. Why? Because if you don't, you'll perish. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In fact, the very next verse, verse 3, I'll put it on the screen for you. He describes what his, the whole, his whole mission was. His whole mission was to prepare the way for the Lord to make this path straight. How did he do that? By preaching repentance. So understand, your heart can't be ready for the Savior and the salvation that he offers apart from repentance. Have you done that? Have you done that? His whole ministry was summed up in the preaching of repentance because his job was to make ready the way for the Savior. Are you ready for the Savior? I am, but if you haven't repented, you ain't. You definitely aren't.
So, so John the Baptist, it was incredibly important to him, incredibly important to Jesus, of course, incredibly important to Jesus' disciples. Take a look. So, of course, he sends them out two by two to different towns. And, of course, what are they going to preach? The same thing they'd heard. He called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. Because why? Unless you repent, you will perish. It is the critical message. It is the critical message. So, so then Jesus ascends and goes to heaven and leaves his apostles to, to, to start the church. And he appoints by the Holy Spirit the apostle Paul. I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter to be the first one to present the first sermon in the first Baptist church of Jerusalem, right? He gets up there and preaches. What does he say? He says a beautiful sermon, but his invitation is incredibly important that we not miss. Here's his invitation. When they heard his sermon, they were caught to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, what? What? Yeah. But somehow that's fallen out of our definitions and out of our descriptions and out of our churches. And why? What are we doing? Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, so that the remission of the sins shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, he not, not too many weeks later, preaches a second sermon in the same place under different circumstances with the same invitation. Peter, again, ends that sermon. Repent, therefore. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Not until you repent will this be true for you. Not until I repent, any of us repent, this will not be true for us. Because unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. So Paul is a person who comes underneath this ministry and repents and trusts Christ. And of course, what does he do? He becomes a missionary for 25 some odd years and goes from place to place preaching the gospel. And what does his message sound like? Well, we find one of his messages as he's in Athens speaking to, he's all there by himself, speaking to a group of completely lost people. And this is what he says to them. Having overlooked, here's the invitation, the times of ignorance. It's just what it means. You don't know God, you're going to be ignorant. Overlook the times of ignorance. God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people, all people, everywhere, are to repent. Because why? Because unless you repent, you will perish. This is the summation of all that he says. 25 years of ministry. We know that because he concludes his ministry at a place called Ephesus. The, the main focus of, if you could say, if he stayed anywhere very long at all, it was definitely Ephesus. And Ephesus becomes this hub of his missionary work. And from Ephesus, the many churches are started. Most of the churches that are written to in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation, were all started out of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So, so he meets as he ends his last, his third missionary journey, he meets with the elders of the church to say basically, adios, we'll never see each other again. But he, re he reviews what he's, he said to them. He said, I did not shrink back, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was beneficial, teachingly, publicly, and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are 100% together. You cannot separate them. There is no faith, hear me, in Jesus Christ apart from repentance. They are never separated in the New Testament. Never. Never. It's unthinkable because a person's not ready for faith in Christ 
until they repented, until they know that there's nothing they can do and that they're a sinner, until they come to God and say, listen, I'm washed out, I have no answer. They, you, you can't pick up a safe, if you will, the Savior until you drop what you got. You've got to repent of this to have this, else you're repenting of this if you're still holding on to this. Make sense? Repentance is critical. It is. Extremely important. Extremely important to Paul, extremely important to Peter, extremely important to Jesus, extremely important to the rest of the apostles, extremely important to John the Baptist. But if you watch, I would challenge you, and I say this to our shame in North America, you watch modern preaching on television, and I would dare say you could watch it for days, and you will not hear the word repent. What are we doing? What are we doing in the name of common sense and knowledge of the Scriptures? What has happened to us? It was everything that they did. It's almost nothing that we do. What has happened to us? Jesus teaches clearly that without repentance we perish. He teaches clearly in 2 Peter chapter 3, again, that without repentance... There is nothing but perishing. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. That is, not sending judgment. Not willing that, what, any should perish. It's not in the God's heart. He didn't create hell for people, but people are going to be there because unless, right, they repent, that they come to repentance. There, there's not a way out of perishing apart from repentance. You plan to perish? Well, let me say, you plan to go to heaven. I had everybody plan to go to heaven? Tell me your plan. You got to have a plan. But can we agree that if your plan to go to heaven disagrees with God's plan going to heaven, that you ain't going? I think we can. It's not your heaven. You don't get to call the shots. You're not going to have a meeting with a man upstairs, as people say. That's ludicrous. He's the creator and owner of everything. He owes you nothing, not even an explanation. But he has offered us salvation, but that salvation is the door you go through. It's called repentance. The door you go through. So, so we have there, Jesus says you'll perish apart from repentance. God wants everyone to come, not perish, but to come to repentance. So, so here we have the same word used in a very popular passage. Very, we all almost should know. We should. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not, there's that word, perish, but have everlasting life. So now we have a better understanding of what it means to come to faith in Jesus. So if you don't want to perish and come to faith in Christ, then you have to repent. Because between you and perishing is repentance. Have you done that? Have you done that? Again, as I say, we have some of the largest churches today with the largest populations we've ever had in North America and the least amount of work, the least amount of effect. And the reason is because we don't do what they did. We don't preach what they preach. We don't hold people to the truth as they did. We, we are more about numbers, honestly. We're more about what the building looks like and who's in attendance and who, who they are. And we're not about the, unfortunately, you're giving up as a sacrifice the truth. And the truth is, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That's the absolute truth. So, so what is repentance since it's such an important topic? Absolutely, that's the reason why I said we've got to go back and get this word. We can't just leave it behind because it is such a critical word. What is repentance? Very literally it means to change direction. 
So it was, used, it was used in many different facets in the Greek culture of the New Testament. They constantly were saying words of repentance, but it wasn't always religious. It always referred to doing something the opposite of what you were now doing. So I'm going this way. It's a, it was a physical thing initially. I'm going this way. I can't continue to go this way and turn around and go that way at the same time. Now, that makes total sense, doesn't it? I have to repent of this direction in order to go this direction. That's not difficult. That's repentance. Stop doing that because you can only do one thing at a time. I can't go two directions. You've got to repent of this direction in order to go that direction. Very literally, very literally, spiritually speaking, it means to turn from sin to Christ. So there is sin. Your life is wrapped up in sin. You've got to turn from sin and turn to Christ. The problem, the problem with that is that a sinner can't stop sinning by definition. So repentance is incredibly important. The problem is the full function of repentance is that you and I cannot carry it out. So we... So what happens now? I can't even repent of the thing. I can't even turn from the thing that Jesus says I'm supposed to turn from. Well, that is a problem except for Jesus is the Savior in all, all circumstances. Lepers can't repent of their spots, can they? I hate my spots. I don't want them anymore. Well, does that change anything? Of course not. Can a drowning person repent of drowning? You know what? I'm going to stop drowning. I'm just going to walk out of here. It would be nice. You know, if you could just stop drowning, sir, you know, out here on the beach. And the guy just said, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I think I'll just stop drowning. A sinner, listen, cannot truly turn from their sins. You want to know why? Because Jesus tells us. Watch. John 8. Actually, it's up there for you. But it's over there for me. Jesus replied, very, rarely, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You don't have the option to quit it. It's not like walking, working at McDonald's. You got any McDonald's people here? Drinking McDonald's, but working McDonald's. I did, the, I did my service to my country. I served at McDonald's between my, over the summer of my 17th year and into the fall while I was also playing football, which was not very fun because I would get up really early and flip sausages anyway and then go to football practice. Anyway. So, McDonald's is kind of like being a slave. Especially now when they're paying them, I don't know, what is it, 18 bucks an hour? They paid us four, and we were real grateful for that. But here's the deal. It was like being a slave, except you did get paid. Here's the other thing I could do, which I very much did about halfway through my, my senior year. I quit. Because I couldn't do it. Couldn't play football. I couldn't be academic. I had a girlfriend that was, you know, all that, all that stuff. I, I, I had to quit McDonald's. To, to do those things, but see, I had the right to quit McDonald's because I was just an employee. That's not the same as being a slave. A slave, you can't quit from doing that. You can't say, you know what, I'm just sick of this whole sin thing, I think I'll just turn and go the other way. That is not your prerogative, my friend. You cannot do it. That is what repentance means. To turn from something that you cannot turn from. That's a sad circumstance. I want to stop, but I can't. I want to stop drowning, but I can't stop drowning. I can't repent of that. I want to get these spots off of me, but I can't repent of my spots. Repentance is changing direction, but spiritual repentance really is, is being convinced that you know you can't stop it. 
I want to change, I want to stop, but I can't. I mean, I, I, I want to be found, but I can't. It's, it's a confession, literally, that I'm turning, but I'm so consumed by sin that I have no power to turn. It's a confession that I'm quitting, but I have no power to quit. That is biblical repentance. Have you done that? It's a confession of your complete inadequacy to rescue yourself, even though you recognize your wretchedness. Have you done that? Repentance is agreeing with God of the diagnosis, that's his diagnosis of your condition and mind, of our wretchedness and understanding that we can do nothing about it. Have you done that? Have you done that? It, it, it's, it's, you know, as, as people say, we have all these phrases that we use that aren't biblical. I found Jesus. Well, you know, I understand what you mean when you say that. But Jesus wasn't lost. You were. He, came, he found you. And again, back to the story of the sheep. I go looking for a sheep because I don't know where he is. But Jesus knows where we all are. He's not lacking information. It's not that he can't find you. It's just that you're not willing to be found. Repentance is saying, here I am. Here I am. I have no hope. Here I am. I can't rescue myself. I can't swim out of this. I can't undo what I've done. Here I am. Have you done that? Because I'm telling you, unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you do, you will perish. A person drowning in sin cannot stop drowning. They can only cry out for help, and that's what is required. You want to hear what repentance sounds like in your Bible, both Old and New Testament? Here's, here's what they sound You want a great passage on repentance, on an actual statement of repentance? Psalm 51 is a great one. Psalm 51 is David's repentance of some horrible sins. Listen to his words. This is what repentance sounds like, ladies and gentlemen. Against you and you only, he's speaking to God. I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Created me a clean heart. Why does he ask God to do that? Because he can't do it himself. Can't fix yourself. As long as you think you can fix yourself, I'm telling you, you have no repentance. Neither do you have salvation. Because the Savior is for people who, need, who know they're sinners and can't save themselves. You think you can save yourself? Well, then Jesus is of no use to you. <laughs> Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Save me from the guilt of my bloodshed. Because he can't save himself. God, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will be joyfully sing of your righteousness. That's what repentance sounds like. Here's Isaiah, the great prophet, descendant of David, actually, says he's in the temple and he sees a vision of God and he's overwhelmed and immediately hits the, the knee of his heart, if you will, in repentance. Woe to me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Notice he's not negotiating with God. He's not saying, but, 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 but I did some good stuff. There was a little old lady. I helped her across the street and I gave money at church and da 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 da. He doesn't, he doesn't start making excuses. He just starts saying, I acknowledge my complete wretchedness. That, ladies and gentlemen, is repentance. It's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. This is what it looks like. Again, Old Testament. The story of Jonah. Jonah was a very reluctant preacher, very poor preacher. Didn't want anybody to be saved, wanted them all to go to hell. But because God convinced him in the stomach of a fish that he needed to do something different, he did. And he went and preached to the Ninevites, hoping they wouldn't get saved, but watch what happened. So he preaches a very slow, very poor sermon, and the people, it says, of Nineveh believed God. 
See, that's what it takes. Do you actually believe God that you're a wretched sinner deserving of hell? Because if you don't, you won't repent and thus won't be saved. The Ninevites believe God, called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And then the king says, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. But notice they recognize they can't save themselves. They can't. They've, they're caught. Uh, as Isaiah would say, undone. That's what repentance looks like. In fact, if you don't think that's repentance, Jesus qualifies it in the New Testament, Matthew 12. The men of Nineveh, same story. We'll stand up with this generation who were unwilling to repent. That was their problem. At the judgment, and we'll condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now he went on to say, one greater than Jonah is here. Repentance, that's what it looks like. Here's what else it looks like, just examples. Luke 5 and then Acts 16. Peter gets this prophetic catch of fish. You want to speak to a fisherman? Sink his boat with some fish, and man, he's willing to listen to you. That's Peter. He's here. He's Okay, this has to be God. He knew it was God. And notice he immediately doesn't start talking about, how did you get all those fish there? You would think the fisherman would, because I want to repeat this thing. How do we get this done? No, he immediately goes straight to his heart, straight to his wretchedness. When Simon Peter saw this incredible catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That's a heart of repentance. That's what it looks like. The, the jailer and, the, and, and uh, Paul, and, Paul and Silas have an all-day, all-night-long Christian concert, and in the morning, the Holy Spirit shakes the jail and, the, and the, the chains that were on their arms and legs, and the doors fly open. The jailer thinks, well, they've all escaped. And Paul and Silas cry out to him and says, don't kill yourself. That's what he's trying to do. So the man realized that the, they were all there, and so notice what he does. He asked for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas after he had brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? His own wretchedness. Can't save himself. That's what repentance looks like. Repentance opens the door for the Savior to set you free. Have you done that? It's not a question of have you prayed a certain prayer or all that. There's, like I said, I can't find an example of that in the New Testament. Have you repented? Because until you repent, you will not turn to the Savior. Repentance opens the door for the Savior to set you free. King Frederick II was the king of Prussia in the 18th, early 18th century. Prussia was now today what we know of as Germany and part of, uh, of uh, Poland. Thank you. And he was, their capital was Berlin as it is in Germany today. And he went to the dungeon just because I don't know what his real reasoning was, but he went to go and interview to see some of the people who were in the dungeon. This was a male prison, and it was dirty, it was nasty, it was horrible. And he went door to door in all the jail cells, and every man in that place began to give the reasons why he shouldn't be in there, of course, because here's the king. He can do whatever he wants. So if I can sell him on the fact that I've been trumped up on these charges and I don't deserve to be here, maybe he can cut me loose. Prisoner after prisoner after prisoner, please let us lose, please let us go, please let me go. I didn't do this, it was my wife, it was my friend, it was my cousin, it was somebody else, it was not me. They lied, they this, they that. And he finally comes to a jail cell where there is not a man standing at the door rattling the cage. He's sitting in the back on his cot, looking at a wall. The king's in the place. This is your chance. 
This is your chance to get out. Wouldn't you please your, plead your cause with him? I mean, you're going to die in a rot in a place like this? The king stops at his jail cell. Again, matter of history. Not a, not a story. It actually happened. And he knocks on the door, gets the guy's attention, and he says, Sir, why are you in the jail? He said, I'm here for armed robbery. He said, did you do it? He said, I most certainly did. In fact, I'm getting exactly what I deserve. The king was just like, how refreshing. Finally, somebody, he felt like somebody was finally telling him the truth. So he backs up for a minute and has a thought, and he turns to the guards, and this is what he says. Like famously, he says, release this guilty man. I don't want him corrupting all these innocent people, he said. <laughs> who, who is innocent, really? None of us are. See, the, the, the thing that opens the door for us to be rescued by the king is for us to acknowledge, yep, I'm I, everything that I deserve. I deserve, you say I deserve hell, I'm more than hell. You just say I deserve eternal death, more than eternal death. I've earned it. I've broken your eternal laws. There's no way to fix them. I can't go back on them. And I can't even stop, even though I'm telling you right now, I wish I never did them before. That's repentance. That enables the Savior to come and be what he is. You can't be rescued. You can't rescue yourself. You can't dig yourself. You can't swim out of this. You can't undo the spots. You can't repent of them. You can't change them. You can only tell the truth and agree with the master about what you really are. Then and only then can he do his work. I'm going to ask if you would bow and close your eyes. Jesus is waiting for our repentance. Have, as I've asked, have you, have you repented? I'm not asking you if you've prayed any specific prayer Nothing wrong with prayer. Certainly when we come to Christ, we're going to be praying, I would think. But have you come to the place where you realize, I cannot save myself. I, 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 I want to let go of whatever it is that I am so that I can take hold of whatever it is that Jesus is. That's repentance. I, I want to stop the direction I'm going, but I can't stop. But I cry out to the Savior who says he's looking for the lost sheep. I'm lost. Save me. Save me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you hear the cry from the heart that says those things, that means those things, that wants to be rescued, that recognizes his wretchedness, her wretchedness, and need of a Savior. God, I thank you that you work through your Spirit in our lives. Thank you for bringing so many in this place already to faith. Through the, through the doorway of repentance. Lord, thank you for speaking to us today. Work your work in our hearts and the lives of those who've heard this message, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.